Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 23 through 34. And before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and God, we thank you for your word you have given to us. Or we ask that you would help us this morning to listen, to listen to your word, to listen for the ways that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us and your purposes for us. God, we pray that you would help us to listen for real, not assuming that we already know and just waiting for that to be confirmed. But help us to listen even for where we need to be corrected, where we need to be challenged. God, we pray that you would help us to be ready to receive your word into our hearts and lives today, that we would be continually changed more and more into the people that you've created us to be in relationship with you through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Jeremiah chapter 31. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. When I bring them back from captivity, the people in the land of Judah and its towns will once again use these words. The Lord bless you, you prosperous city, you sacred mountain. People will live together in Judah and in and all its towns, farmers and those who move about with their flocks. I will refresh the weary and satisfy the faint. At this I awoke and looked around. Looked around. My sleep had been pleasant to me. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will plant the kingdoms of Israel and Judah with the offspring of people and of animals, just as I watched over them to uproot and tear down and to overthrow, destroy, and bring disaster. So I will watch over them to build and to plant, declares the Lord. In those days, people will no longer say the parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Instead, everyone will die for their own sin. Whoever eats sour grapes, their own teeth will be set on edge. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that, after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Turning then to Luke chapter 11. Verses 37 through 54, um, we have a bit of a, a change in tone from reading in Jeremiah. Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 37. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him, so he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now, as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. 
you should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you because you are like unmarked graves, which people walk over without knowing it. One of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Jesus replied, And you experts in the law, woe to you, because because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Woe to you, because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your ancestors who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets, and you build their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. Woe to you experts in the law, because you have taken away the key of knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who were entering. When Jesus went outside, the Pharisees and teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yeah, I don't know if you noticed the change in tone there (laughs) between God and Jeremiah speaking to a people who were already in exile and saying, but there's going to be something good that is coming, and there's going to be this new covenant that is coming. And then we skip over to the book of Luke, and Jesus says to the very people who knew of those things in Jeremiah, who knew the Old Testament really well, and he said, and yet the way that you have applied what you know has completely missed the heart of the matter. And that's where all these problems have come in. And so he's pointed out pretty pretty clearly. Well, anyway, where we are headed next is uh, to the book of Acts and to a time of controversy. Controversy is nothing new. But we're going to look at a time of controversy in the life of the early church. And in this time of controversy. We're going to look at it for a couple purposes. One is because how they handle controversy as a church is really helpful and instructive for us today anytime we're dealing with issues of controversy um, as a church. Secondly, we're going to look at it not only because of how they handle the controversy, but because what the controversy is itself gets to the heart of the Christian faith and what it means for us today even to be Christians. So that's what we're looking. This is from Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 21. And I'm going to warn you ahead of time when we start down this road, it sounds like the whole issue is all about circumcision. And I just said this whole thing is about you know the heart of the Christian faith, and it has to do with us today. And you're going to listen to this and be like, I don't remember the last time I fought with anybody over circumcision. <laughs> Like, that's just not one of our issues anymore. I don't think this has to do with us. It does. It really, really does. Okay, here we go. <laughs> just have to trust me on that for now. This is Acts chapter 15, and uh, we have seen previously in the book of Acts, uh, Paul and Barnabas being sent out from the church in Antioch and going around and preaching about Jesus in all these different towns throughout um, in Galatia in particular. And they come back 
and they're now in Antioch, and here's what happens. Certain people came down from, Jeru- from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you're circumcised according to the customs taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. And this news made all the believers very glad. So far, so good. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must uh, be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and elders met to consider this question. Okay, before we go any further, just making sure that we're all following along, tracking with what's going on here. Paul and Barnabas have been out ministering, and they would go everywhere they go. They'd go to the synagogue first. They would preach to the Jewish people there. And then from there, they would continue to preach to the Gentiles, those who were not Jewish. And so when they come back to Antioch and they're sharing this, everybody's like, this is great. This is wonderful that the message that you know, we knew from Acts chapter 1, where Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And this is what's happening. And we're seeing his message go out. We're seeing these people as witnesses to who Jesus is, and people are accepting the message. And it's wonderful. This is great. Praise God. And then we have some people coming from Judea, from the heartland of Judaism. And they're saying, yeah, that's great that they're accepting Jesus, but they still have to follow the whole law of Moses. That's the issue here with the circumcision. Like, that's still a part of it. If you really want to follow this Jesus, I mean, he's the, he's the Jewish Messiah. I mean, come on. If you're going to get on board with him, you've got to get on board with the whole Jewish everything. So you've got to follow the law of Moses. And, you know, one of the first things you've got to do there, you've got to get circumcised. Now, are there passages they could point to in the Old Testament that say people should be circumcised? Absolutely. And this is why it's a controversy. It's because you have, on the one hand, people saying, no, I don't think you need to be circumcised in order to follow Jesus. And on the other hand, you have people saying, yeah, no, I think you do. I think you have to be circumcised if you're going to follow Jesus. And this is where I say that it has issue for us today, not necessarily a circumcision question, but a what does it take? What does it take to follow Jesus? What does it take to consider yourself a Christian? What does it mean to be saved? What does that take from us up front? That's the question they're really asking. The particular instance they have in mind is circumcision. And so they met to consider this question. Which is it? And that right there, before we go any farther, is step one is actually meeting and considering the question. You know how little we do that today? Where we just decide we already know the answer, and so there's no point in having the conversation, and so you go your way, I'll go my way, and we're done. That's more our way. That's not what they did. They actually meet to consider this question. We want to know what is true, what is right, what is um, the answer here. Verse 7. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, You know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, 
showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. All right, so here's the first, the first major point in their meeting is Peter gets up. Now, you think when Peter gets up, people listen? Peter, who was in the inner circle, not only of the 12 disciples, but even of the Peter, James, and John, inner three of the 12 disciples, close to Jesus through all of this. Peter, who also received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and who stands up and preaches the first Christian sermon. Peter, who then later has this vision of the sheep being lowered down from heaven of all these unclean animals, and God says, get up, kill, and eat. And he says, no, you've got to be kidding. And God says, no, this is what I mean. <laughs> Do this. And he realizes at that point, it's not just about the animals, that it's about the people. That God says, you can't call it unclean if I've made it clean. I'm the one who gets to make that call. I say it's clean, it's clean. <laughs> and so then he goes, and he meets with Cornelius. Not Jewish, but Cornelius, this Gentile man who then not only believes, but then uh, receives the Holy Spirit. And Peter says, I have seen this happen. I have seen what God did in my heart. I have seen what God did in his heart. I also know what has been going on in this whole circumcision debate. See, if you really want to know... um, more of the behind the scenes on this debate. Paul and Barnabas, this is not the first time they've been dealing with this issue. And if you read the book of Galatians, this is the issue that goes through the whole book. And even in that book, uh, Paul talks about a time when Peter came to visit and kind of went back on what he claimed to believe, where it seemed like he had been all for Gentiles coming in, and then he goes, and some Jewish people show up, and he's like, well, maybe I'll separate myself from the Gentiles. Maybe I'll start you know, being more Jewish. And Paul calls him out in front of everybody and says, that is against the gospel. And Peter says, you're right. And so now here we have Peter, and I, again, I would highly recommend <laughs> reading through the book of Galatians and how it addresses this whole issue But what it basically comes down to is, if you say that you have to be circumcised, what you're saying is you have to follow the old law, the whole thing, and that you have to do that in order to be saved. And he said, you can look back throughout all history. Nobody has ever done that. Save Jesus. Nobody else has ever done that. Nobody follows the old law, the whole whole law. And they say, what you are telling these Gentiles is that the new covenant has come. But you still have to follow the old covenant. And that's not the message we get from what we just read in Jeremiah, even. That's not what we see in Jesus, who says, I have come to fulfill the law. And so what we see now is the question of, are people saved by what they do, or are people saved by what Jesus did? You see how that's the same question we deal with today, even if we're not so concerned about the circumcision question? 
The question is, are people saved by what they do or by what Jesus did? And I've quoted this uh, a few times already, I'm sure, uh, from a sermon I heard of from Louis Giglio years ago, where he said he took a, a, like a survey class of world religions, and so they were going to be talking about the five major world religions, and he said, you know, I came away from that class realizing there aren't five major world religions. There are four major world religions and one gospel. Because all the other religions are a way of what do you have to do to work your way up? And the gospel is a message of how God came down. That's a very different thing. Very different thing. And that's what these people are debating in Acts 15. They're having this council to decide which way is it? Do we have to do, you know, work our way up to, at least to a certain point before then he saves us? And the answer that we're getting is, what Peter is saying is, no. No, that's not how it works. He says, um, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. And by the way, I hope you notice the order he puts that in. He doesn't say it's by, uh, it's by grace that they are saved, you know, same way we are. He says, no, it's grace by grace that we are saved, just like they are. In other words, we can, we can already see they are being saved just by grace, not because they had to do stuff first. He said, and the same thing applies to us. So if anyone here is trusting in your own ability to keep the law and you think that's why Jesus is accepting you, stop it. It goes the same for us as it does for them. It's by grace, by grace, by grace. Anyway, again, you can read through Galatians, also Ephesians. Very good answer. Um, and then verse 12, the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. This is a huge part. It kind of goes over quickly in one verse. This is a really important part of this whole gathering they have. Is that Paul and Barnabas are now sharing about what all has happened, what all they've seen, and how it is by grace that people are being saved. But do you notice what everybody else is doing while Paul and Barnabas are talking? They are silent, and they are listening. They are listening to people who are sharing something different than what they believed already. They are listening. We don't do that anymore. I don't know in the past couple of weeks if you are more the type to say things like, um, Guns don't kill people, people kill people. Or if you're more likely to say, those people love their guns more than they love our children. But whichever side you find yourself on, how often have you found yourself listening to points being made by the other side? We don't listen anymore. And if you want a good training in how to not listen to people, watch cable news. (laughs) Go on social media, and you will be trained in how to not listen to each other. I'm serious. But that's not what we find in this church council. It's not what we should find in the church anywhere. We should be able to disagree with each other and still respect each other and actually listen to each other. (laughs) So here they are meeting together. They're listening to each other. They're sharing what their experience is, but they're running all of it back through Scripture. It's always got to go back to what has God been doing from the beginning? Is this really consistent with that or not? 
Are these people just making this new thing up out of nothing? Or is this really what God has been doing from the beginning? And so we go, continue. Verse 13, when they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon, being uh, Peter, has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written. So here we go, back to the Old Testament. He says, after this, I will, re- I will return and, will- and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. And so, after saying, I've listened to all this, I have heard what Peter has said, I've heard what Paul and Barnabas have shared, and I know how this connects with what God has said from all the way from the beginning. And then he says, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times, and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. That's where we're going to end the reading for this week. Um, but I want you to hear what James is doing here. Because it would be really easy for them to gather together and say, wait, do we have to be circumcised or not to be saved? And they could talk about it, and they could debate it, and they could come to the conclusion, no, we don't have to be circumcised to be saved. And they go, everybody who's not been circumcised, all right, very good. Now let's go on our merry way. But that's not why they were meeting. They weren't meeting to say, are we saved with or without circumcision? They were meeting because they were witnesses to the gospel of Jesus to the whole world. And so the question is, what is this going to mean moving forward as we continue in that mission and continue to share the good news to the rest of the world? As we do this, do we tell them, here's what you got to do in order to be saved. you got to be circumcised. you got to follow the law of Moses. <laughs> he said, no. You don't need to do that. In fact, it really comes down to this. Do you trust Jesus? That's our message. We're going to tell people about Jesus. Do you trust him? Do you believe in him? That's it. It's by grace that we are saved. And then uh, it says, So we're going to write this message. We're going to write this. We're going to send it back to the church in Antioch. So now when people are being sent out, it's not people being sent out from a particular church, but they're being sent out as representatives of the whole church who's all uh, in agreement on what this message is and what it means for the people who are going to hear it. I think it's really important that we have that in mind, that they were having the mission in mind, even as they are meeting to handle this kind of theological question. And so they write this down and they send it out. And you'll notice that there are four things in there. They say, okay, you're going to do these things, though. And at first glance, this might seem like it undercuts everything they've said so far. Like, is it something that we do that saves us? Is it something that Jesus has done that saves us? And they say, no, it's all by what Jesus did. Now do these things. When? How does that work? But if you consider what, it, what circumcision meant, circumcision was the sign of being a part of the Old Covenant. And what they are saying to do is not to have a sign of being under the Old Covenant. They are saying, now it's time to live new lives in light of being a part of the New Covenant. 
And so you're going to have a break with those former pagan ways of life. This is a new life now. But that none of those things are things that you're going to do in order to be saved. These are the things that you're going to do now that you are saved. Very different. Anyway, we will continue to look at how this um, affects the life of the early church and their witness in and around that area. But for this week, the real question is, how does this council in Jerusalem, the decisions they were talking about, how does that affect us today? How does that affect the way that we disagree with each other? How does it affect the way that we have in our disagreements the mission of the church in mind? How do we do it listening to each other? How do we do it listening to the whole Bible? As we see where we ought to come down on various issues. I said before, uh, this is a really important passage in the life of the church, as then and now, for showing us how to disagree, how to um, handle controversies, but also because it is central to the faith, addressing the circumcision question. So many times, the way we look at things, uh, I hear it from Christians of, I just hope that when I die, that I've just done enough good things, that it outweighs the bad things. And you go, no, 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 no. No. We don't have to hope that when we die, we've done enough good things. The message of the gospel, the good news is, what needed to be done has already been done. And we can know now that Jesus already did it. And so we can trust in him and live in that. If you are confused on this issue, please come talk to me. (laughs) It is so opposite from everything uh, that we are used to in the rest of the world. We're earning, 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 and this is not earning. It's all grace. So if you're confused on that, please come talk to me. I'd love to talk to you about this. Um, And if this is something that you see as good news, please share it with everybody. There's so many people in this town, in this area, who don't know it. And it's our job. It's the mission of the church to tell them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.